I have longed uh, to stand behind this pulpit and open up God's Word this morning. I've been sitting on this message and just ready to, to see it give birth. I, uh, I felt led by the Lord to lead us into a new sermon series just for the next few weeks. Um, as we get ready for the month of February, I just want to put on your radar that I felt lead, I led to begin a, a study of the book of Jonah. And we'll be spending several weeks walking through that verse by verse and, and word by word. But for the next three weeks... Um, I felt led to lead us into a sermon series that I've entitled Kingdom Stewards. Kingdom Stewards. And why am I doing this now? Well, last week was the first week of the new year and we talked about uh, entering into the journey of 2017 and, and, and how it's a journey that God has called us to and to remember His commands and to remember His promises. Well, now as we begin to make our preparations for this year, okay, we, we thought about both as a church and I'm sure individually as families, you've thought about where you're going to spend your time and where you're going to spend your money and where you're going to spend your resources this year. We need to stop and consider the fact that God's blessed us, both individually and as a church. God has really blessed us. I don't I have a finance committee meeting where uh, Brother Larry does not stop and say God has really blessed us. But with great blessings also comes great responsibility. And three of the main areas in which God has blessed us is with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. And so what I'd like to do each of the next three weeks is tackle those three topics starting today with time. And I want us to try and look at our time, look at our talents, and look at our resources the way God wants us to through the eternal lens of Scripture. Through the eternal lens of Scripture. That's the goal for the, uh, for the sermon series here today. And so as we shift gears and begin to talk about being a kingdom steward over time, I think we start with an understanding of a great paradox. Here's the paradox. God has created us to live in a universe confined by time and space. But God Himself is not confined by time and space. And He's also sent His Son to forgive us of our sins and give us an eternal world that we'll eventually live in that does not have those constraints. But the question is, what do we do while we're here now? Before we get to the world to come, where time is not going to be an issue as much as it is here now and here today. As I was putting this message together, I began to think about this conversation that I had. I'll never forget this moment. It was back in, I think, 2012. I went to a wedding in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was spending time with my uh, my Uncle Jimmy's, uh, one of his best friends, who was a multi-millionaire, very successful business owner in his mid-60s, getting ready to retire. And he began to ask me questions. He said, young man, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I've been in, in sports casting and marketing for most of my adult life, but I feel, the le- I feel led by the Lord into ministry. So right now I'm a youth pastor at a wonderful church in southeast Georgia, and I'm getting ready to go to seminary. And he kind of looked at me and he said, minister, huh? Can you actually make a living being a minister? I said, yeah, according to the provision of God and the, and the generous hearts of the church, yeah, you can make a living being a minister. I'm not going to be a multimillionaire, but I can, I can make a living. And uh, he said, and it was just really, I just have to be honest, it was very, very uh, condescending the way he was speaking to me. Uh, and he said to me, well, young man, I have no problem with religion. He said, my only issue is this. Why should we spend so much time talking about eternity when we need to deal with the issues that we have right now? And I, I, for a second, I thought about how I wanted to respond, and I didn't. And if I had, could go back in time, what I would have said to him is this. What you're saying makes sense unless what we do right now affects the eternity that we're going to live. 
If, if the eternity that we experience is based on the life that we live right now, then every single day we should be thinking through the eternal lens of Scripture. The way that we look at time should be so drastically different than a non-believer. Again, what if what we're doing right now will affect the rest of our eternity? That's the question that I want to ask us today. You see, our, our time is a precious gift from God. We've been given a limited supply of it here on earth, but we'll live in eternity with no time limits. But what we do in eternity will we be based on how we use this limited time that we have for the kingdom of God while we are still here on this earth. So, having said that, let us go to the Word of God, which instructs us on how we should look at this time and how we should ask the question, what is the measure of our days. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm number 39. We're going to be in verses 4 through 7. Okay, Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7. If you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Okay, we're in Psalm 39, and we are in verses 4 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your written word, the Holy Scriptures. And thank you for your word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in which we have our only hope. Father, it is so hard to see time the way that you see it because you're not confined by it, but we are. So Father, I pray in our time here today, we would consider the kingdom stewardship of time. You've given us such a limited amount of it, Father, but you've given us enough of it to do what you've called each and every single one of us to do to build your kingdom. Father, I pray hearts and minds would be changed today by the truth of your word, that we would consider and even make changes to use the time that you've given us to be a part of your kingdom till either you call us home or until your son comes back to get us. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you. Offer these words in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. I am somebody who is fascinated with the idea of time. In fact, in the future, if God gives me enough time, I may actually preach an entire series on time because the Bible has so much to say about it. But I, if I had to pick one passage to talk about time and, and how we should see time and how we should be using our time, I really think Psalm 39, even in these short few passages, has packed more power in just these few words than almost any other passage that I've seen in the New or the Old Testament when it comes to the concept of time. So let me give you a real quick context of Psalm 39, and then we'll walk through these passages and then make application and illustration to how it affects us in our lives today. So Psalm 39 is a Psalm of David, and one of the things that we see right here is that David once again is in, in suffering and turmoil much like he is in many of the Psalms where he's, he's lifting up words of praise and also words of suffering 
to God. But what makes this psalm different is that in the midst of his suffering, David is asking God to remind him of how short his life is. David wants his suffering to be a painful reminder of how short and significant our life on this earth really is. You know, one of my mentors in this world and probably a mentor for many people in this church is Larry Guido. I call him Papa Larry. And, and Larry, Papa Larry and I have had so many closed-door uh, conversations in his office. I know many of us have. I know a week doesn't go by where Coach Tillman doesn't stop and talk with him, and there's just many people who think the world of him. And one of the things that he has often said to me is, Bo, people do not make a change in their life unless they have a significant emotional event. I can testify that I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at a crisis in my life. I was 26 and doing what I wanted to do for a living in baseball, and I was miserable. And I began to question the meaning of life. If, if this doesn't make me happy, then what else, what else in life is there? And I came to faith in Christ through that. God used that. He drew me according to His Spirit through an emotional crisis. Well, in, in, the, in the Scriptures here, we see in Psalm 39 that David's experiencing a time of suffering and a time of turmoil. Part of it's because of the evil of the world, and part of it's because he's, he's understanding the evil in his own life. In the first couple passages that I did not read in, in the psalm, he's basically saying that all this evil's taking place, and, and, and I said, Lord, that I wouldn't say anything about it. I'd hold my tongue. I would guard myself, but behold, I, I open my mouth. And so he's frustrated with the evil of the world, but he's also frustrated that in his own evil, he couldn't bite his tongue. He said things that he should not have said. And he said, so out of all this suffering and all this evil, God, just, just remind me today. Remind me how short my life is. Remind me, Father, that, that I'm just a, a hand breath. I'm just a, a mere breath that's here today and gone tomorrow. Remind me of what I'm supposed to be doing, but also remind me of how evil this world is, that it's a short world with a greater world to come. So today, as we walk through these passages, what I want to do is look at three things that we can learn about the measure of our days here on earth through the suffering of David. What can we learn about this? David says, what is the measure of my days? Okay, the title of our message, what is the measure of our days? How should we be able to look at time and look at our lives and, and what should we be doing with the time that we have? I'd like to offer three things for us to consider. And the first of those three is this. Our days here are disappearing so live today for God's eternal kingdom, okay? Our days here are disappearing, so live today for God's eternal kingdom. Look back with me at verses 4 through 5 as we walk through this. It says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a mere handbreadth, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Here's something very interesting. Everyone knows time is short. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. All right? You can turn on TV and, and you can hear story after story after story about these amazing lives. I like to read biographies and watch documentaries of these people who realized that time was short. And in the short time they had, they accomplished many, many things. But let me tell you something. As a believer in Jesus Christ... The way that we understand how short time is and how we respond to that should look completely different than someone who doesn't know Jesus, than someone who doesn't have eternity promised to them. The way that we look at time should be one of the few things that greatly separates us from a non-believer. If I was to look at a week of a Christian's life versus the week of a non-Christian's life, and I was to look at how they spent their time, 
I should be able to look at the Christian and say, your life looks so much different than theirs. And the truth and the reality of things is that most of, for most of us, that's not the case. That's not the case because we don't always think through the lens of the Bible. We don't think eternally the way God has called us to. But we know that time is short. And David reminds us over and over that time is short. In only those two verses I just read, he says that our, our, our days are as short as the length of our hand, that our lifetime is no more than a mere human breath. We inhale, we exhale, and the breath is already gone. And so it is with our lives. And so it is with our lives. But the fact that we've been saved and promised an eternity where time is now no longer an issue, no longer a constraint, and that everything that we do right now is what prepares us for the world to come, that's a game changer. That changes everything. That absolutely changes everything. And so what, what I really want to do here is in, in a moment, I'm going to be walking through certain ways that non-believers respond to that truth. And then certain ways that believers need to respond to that truth. But before I do that, let me pose this question to you. God's purpose for your life. Are you called to live your best life now or your best life in the world to come? How we answer that question will define how we spend our time. Are we called to live the absolute best life that we can, enjoying everything that God has to offer, everything this world has to offer, spending every dime for our pleasure and for our comfort and for, and for all the things that we desire? Or are we called to use the resources and the time that God has given us to build God's kingdom before He calls us home? One of the passages, uh, and I'm just going to be honest with you, you've maybe heard me say this several weeks, Christian television today, is an abomination to this book. I would say for every 10 preachers that you watch on TV, there might be two or three that are trustworthy and seven or eight that have absolutely no idea what this book teaches. Now, one thing I'll never do is start, start slinging mud on certain names. I'm not going to mention names. It's not, my, it's not my calling. It's not my role to say who's anointed of God and who's not. But what I will do is teach truth. And my hope is the more that we talk and teach and walk through truth, the more that you're going to be able to smell a phony. Okay? Because what Christian television teaches is what's called the prosperity gospel. It's also known as the charismatic word faith movement. Name it and claim it. You're a child of the Most High God, and if you just claim victory over that, you'll no longer be sick. If you just claim victory over that, you'll no longer be poor. If you just claim victory over that, anything you ask, God will give it to you. That is not what this book teaches. And for people who believe that, when things do not go right in their life, they start to question God or question themselves. That's not what this book teaches. It's just not. He does not teach the prosperity gospel. Now, here's the verse that television preachers use every day. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is in God's Word. And Jesus Christ does promise that. But He doesn't say that abundance is going to be every material possession that you ever dream possible. It means that you have a life with a personal relationship with God. And there is nothing more abundant than that. I want us to just to know this word in such a way that we can just smell it when people are twisting the scriptures. Again, let me say this so I'm not misunderstood. This does not mean that we are not to enjoy the gifts that God's given us here in this world. It doesn't mean that we're not to enjoy uh, wonderful gifts, a wonderful home, a great time of vacation, relaxation, 
leisure. These are gifts. You know, I was watching, I spent a lot of time this weekend watching documentaries on football and baseball. Sports is a gift. God gave it to us for leisure. God gave us to us for enjoyment. I'm not saying that if we're kingdom-minded, we're going to get rid of every ounce of leisure that we could possibly have. I'm just saying that's not the goal of our life. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's we need to enjoy the, everything that comes from God. God's hand as a gift, and it is to be enjoyed. And I don't want us to deprive ourselves of enjoying things. There's a certain sect of Christianity that goes too far in the other direction. It's called aestheticism. And they, they purposely suffer because they think that brings more glory to God. And I'm not saying we need to do that. We don't need to sell every single thing we own. We don't need to deprive ourselves of every gift that God could give us just to say that we're good Christians. That's not what the Scripture teaches either. But we need to have our minds focused ultimately on the kingdom of God. So let me break this down before we move on to our second point. How does a non-believer respond to the idea that time is short versus how a believer should respond to how time is short. Here's how a non-believer would do it. I believe that the phrase, anyone here ever seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, yeah. You remember Veruca Salt? Yeah, her expression was, I don't care how, I want it now. All right, that was her favorite expression. I hate that uh, my wife couldn't be here this morning with the baby, but that's her favorite movie. And we laugh every time we see that Veruca Salt, just, I don't care how, I want it now. I would say America probably has adopted that motto in many ways, and it's gotten us in a lot of trouble. And I'm not going to turn this uh, pulpit into a political soapbox. That's not my calling. But I will say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not how you would respond to the fact that time is short. You don't have to have it now because you have all of eternity waiting for you. All right. Another thing is carpe diem, seize the day. Right? Today's all you have because you're not promised tomorrow. Well, that's half true. You're not promised tomorrow on this earth, but you are promised tomorrow in eternity if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So carpe diem is good that we should seize the day, but not seize the day for our enjoyment, but seize the day for building the kingdom of God. And then, and then for those that, that do not know about the world that lies ahead, their, their approach to the fact that time is short is that you should experience everything that you could possibly experience now because you may not have it later. I remember when Tim McGraw's father, Tug, died of cancer, and Tim wrote that country song, Live Like You Should Die, Live Like You're Dying. What did he say that how, how you should live like you're dying? He said, um, I should go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and ride 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That's how Tim McGraw says you should live like you're dying. I say we should live like we know we are going to live in eternity forever. We don't necessarily have to go see every tropical island. We don't have to climb every mountain. We don't have to ride every bull. We don't have to try to squeeze everything that we can into this life right now because it's going to be gone or we don't know what lies ahead. No, we know that for all of eternity, when Jesus Christ returns, we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth. And that means we are going to be in physical bodies on a physical earth for all of eternity. And we're going to be able to go to tropical islands and we're going to be able to have lavish vacations and we're going to be able to do all the things that we didn't have, <clears throat> have time to do here and now. But there are things that we need to do now that we will not be able to do in eternity. So that shifts gears now to how a believer should be looking at this concept of time. I really believe as, as believers in Christ that we need to invest our time in people and not things. We need to invest in people and not things. It's not what you have at the end of your life that you're going to be excited about. It's who you've influenced for the Lord Jesus Christ 
that you'll be grateful for on your deathbed. We need to do things now that we won't be able to do in eternity. What are those things? Well, number one, share our faith. I mean, we'll be sharing our faith with one another in eternity, but we're all going to be believers. That right now, God's placed people in your, your workplace, in your neighborhood, all over the place that are not believers in Jesus Christ. And you can share your faith with them now, but you won't be able to do that in eternity. We need to invite others to be a part of this church. We need to serve in a ministry that changes lives eternally. We need to reflect Christ to a dark and non-believing world. And we also need to disciple our families with the Word of God. I hope and I pray that as my daughter is raised up in this church, that she's going to have awesome teachers. And I already look over some and I just, I can see her at Praise Kids. I can't wait for the day that she's going to be able to sing and dance. I can't wait for the day that she transitions hopefully to the youth group. And, and, and you know, I, my prayer would be she would spend her whole life at Cedar Street. But I'm not waiting for Cedar Street to disciple my daughter. I'm her father and that's my calling. And not because I'm a pastor either, but because I'm her father. I can't, once when God takes the final breath out of my lungs, I've lost my chance to disciple my daughter. You have opportunities right now for those of you who are parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles to dedicate a specific time each week to bringing discipleship into your home with your spouse. You know what? Even if you only understand one verse of Scripture, open the Bible and just read it and pray and say, God, I don't know what I just read, but help me. God answers those prayers. It is His joy and His desire to give you wisdom and guidance according to His Word. So number one, our days here are disappearing, so live today for God's eternal kingdom. Number two, our days here are deceiving, so focus today on God's eternal purposes. Look down at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. That's, a, that's a, a fancy way of saying we're easily distracted by secondary things in this world. We argue about things that are not worth arguing over, and we spend a lot of time storing up treasures that we can't take with us when we go. I told, I told a man in our church that uh, they do not install tow hitches on the back of hearses. And a week later, he brought a picture with me with an actual hearse that was towing a U-Haul. I'd never seen that before. <laughs> I said, well, you got me there. I've never seen that. It's the first time I ever saw it. But I guarantee whoever was in that hearse was still not taking the stuff that was in the U-Haul with him or her. But it's true. We know this. We know this. But we still act like it's not true. We really think we're going to take this stuff with us when we go. And it can be so distracting. I had such an awesome time this morning with our prospective member class. And we spent time at great length talking about cleaning out things, you know. David and Vicki Gorham just uh, sold their home, and so they, they've had to box things up, and as they were looking through boxes, had to be reminded of things that they need versus things that they don't need. And isn't that true of all of us every time we move? We're like, how did I acquire this much stuff? i got to get a storage unit just to store it so that I can actually move around in my house and function. But none of that stuff's going to go with us when we go. Why are we so worried about it? Because we get distracted. Because this world can be deceiving. Let me read this from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This actually is verses 17 through 23, and this comes from David's son. So apparently this was a uh, family issue. All right, Solomon also struggled with this. It says, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil 
in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. That's the whole message of Ecclesiastes, that life is meaningless apart from God because everything you collect is going to be given to somebody else. So why do we let it distract us? We all do. I struggle with it. We, we get deceived to think that secondary things are so important. It's the deception of earthly wealth. Again, let me say, as I said before, all things are to be enjoyed from the hand of God. Okay, there's a time in my life and there are certain people in this church who can testify that maybe I've gone too far in, in the other direction and there was a time where I got rid of everything. I remember uh, when I moved into... Uh, to Estine McCraney's house on North Lewis. And Miss Debbie Jones called me and said, we want to have a housewarming party. And I said, well, I just got rid of all my stuff. I don't need anything. And then uh, Sharon Herndon came to visit me. She, she was bringing me a desk and she walked in and kind of looked around and I didn't have a couch. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have any, I didn't have a place to sit. I was like, I'm just going to live for the Lord. I'm not going to be distracted by anything. Well, I met Ashley and praise God, she's not a materialistic person because for two months she had to sit on my stairs when she came into my house. Uh, I didn't have a place for her to sit at all, and I didn't even have a TV for her to watch until uh, Papa Dean and Miss AJ had mercy on me and brought a TV set over. So I went too far in the other direction. I fully understand that, and I think God honored my, my desires to serve Him even though I went a little bit too far. But let's, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Are there things that are deceiving us, that are taking our time, that are just not worth it? Yeah. And we need to think about it eternally. There are things in eternity that you will be able to enjoy. You can't keep them here on this earth, but you can send them forward. You can store up those treasures in heaven by investing in the kingdom of God now. <clears throat> How does a non-believer look at this truth? Well, a non-believer says, I want it now, not later. I can't take it with me when I go, so I might as well enjoy it all now. They also say the three things that they want with their wealth is to acquire to store, and to protect as much as possible. But what about a believer? A believer believes in Matthew 6 that I could store those treasures up in heaven because where my treasures are, so my heart will also be. That the money and the time that I'm spending is going towards God's kingdom more than it's going to my living room. And the three things that a believer should do in approach to wealth is thank God, pray for direction, and invest in the kingdom. That's the difference as we approach this idea of time, how we should look at things differently then a non-believer should look at them. So number two, our days here are deceiving, so we need to focus on God's eternal purposes. Third and finally, as we kind of circle the wagons here, number three, our days here are discouraging, so hope today in God's eternal plan. Verse seven is kind of the hinge that this whole verse, this whole passage sits on. It says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. You know, I, I've been to quite a few funerals here in the past few weeks, many from members of our church who are mourning and grieving, and I've been thinking about them, and I've been thinking about their families and their situations, and I've been greatly blessed because these funerals the past few weeks that I've been to are funerals to commemorate the life of a believer, 
And I think about this all the time. I think I mentioned this many, many months ago, um, where we look really different than non-believers is in the hospice room. All right, I've sat bedside in hospice with someone who's a believer, and I've also sat bedside in hospice with some who's, who are non-believers, and that's the great equalizer. You can, you can pretend like this world has everything to offer, but when you come to the end of your rope and your ultimate time of despair, and you know that your time on this earth is short, those who have Christ have hope, and those who do not don't have hope. And that's, that's the ultimate equalizer. You can distract yourself with as many things on this side of heaven as possible. But ultimately, death is the ultimate equalizer. When you come face to face with your death, if you don't die a sudden tragedy and you are given a few days or months to think about your death before you ultimately enter into eternity, you'll come to grips with the fact that you either have Jesus or you don't. And if you do, there's your hope. And if you don't, there's no other place that can offer the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ can. Because you know your final breath here is not the end, but it's the beginning of something even greater. It's the beginning of something even greater. So that leads me to our conclusion. And our conclusion is this. Our days here on earth are a few short breaths, but Jesus Christ came to offer us eternal life on a new earth to come. So will you use your time today to participate in God's eternal kingdom, purposes, and plan? Let me leave you with four points of application, just four quick ways that you can actually take this message today and put it into practice. If we're not doing application, then we're just lifting up these truths, but we're not actually saying how we can put it into practice. So if you give me just a moment here, we'll run through these four real quickly. Number one, ask the Lord to remind you daily of the brevity of life and listen to what he says. Ask him in prayer, God, remind me how short life is. And then pay attention when God gives you examples over and over and over of how short life is. I don't want to ever forget how short life is. And now as a pastor, I'm reminded of it often. For those who are first responders, they're reminded of it often. They walk into burning homes or they walk into homes with people who are hanging on to their final breath. They don't have to be reminded. Most of us do. We need to pray and ask God, remind me. Don't let me forget how short my time on this earth is. Number two, ask yourself this question. What can I do this year for the kingdom of God that I will not be able to do when my life is over? Next week, we're going to talk about kingdom talents and how God has blessed each and every single person in this room with special gifts. And I want you to start thinking even now, what is the gift God's given me? And how can I best use that for His glory right now that I can't do when I'm in His kingdom eternally? Number three, Meditate on Bible passages and good Christian books that teach us about heavenly rewards so we're not distracted by earthly ones. All right, Meditate on Bible passages and good Christian books that teach us about heavenly rewards so we're not distracted by earthly ones. What lit my fire back in 2011 or whenever I read it was Randy Alcorn's little book, The Treasure Principle. And he walked through Matthew 6, and he talked about storing up treasures in heaven. And I've referenced that book so many times in this church. And he kept saying, you can't take it with you, but you can pass it forward. You can take the material wealth that God's given you and invest it in that kingdom and know that it's going to come back to you tenfold in the world to come. God rewards obedience, and he will reward it eternally and in eternities when you'll really be able to enjoy it. And then our final point of application, if you lose hope, over the deception and the discouragement of this world, 
remember, for Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out yet, because we haven't reached the end yet. Every, Revelation, I just love it. People say, can you teach me Revelation? I'll say, that book's really confusing me. Can I boil it down? We win. Victory in Jesus. All things will be made new. Every tear will be wiped away. That's a hope that no one else can promise but the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you meditate on how short life is and you mourn for those who've been taken away from this world and you struggle and you wrestle, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. As I enter into prayer and we open up the altar for a time of invitation for anybody who wants to come and pray and and either give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ because they understand they're a sinner and they need to be saved to have the hope that we have, or maybe that there needs to be a rededication of our time. And today could be a day to get right with God and ask God to help you to manage your time for His kingdom. Let me put this image in your brain. Again, I often go to sports because it's a world that I understand. One of my favorite movies is uh, Miracle. Disney uh, redid the story of the 1980 U.S. hockey team and her, led by Herb Brooks that won the gold medal and defeated uh, the Russians. And I just love, I love the way Kurt Russell plays Herb Brooks. I love, the, I love his determination to win the gold. And I remember the end of that movie. I remember getting emotional over the end of that movie when he finally beats the Russians after his entire focus for months and months and months was everything he could possibly do to beat the Russians. <clears throat> There's this tiny moment at the very end of the movie where he looks up at his wife in the stands and he just kind of shakes his hand like it finally happened. And then he goes into the tunnel where he's completely alone and for about five seconds he just goes, yes, yes, I did it. I finally accomplished what I gave everything I possibly had. I gave it to, I gave it to winning this game and I finally won it. Let that be the way that we focus on the kingdom of God, figuring out what gift God has given you and using it to the point of exhaustion. When I die, I want to die empty. When I die, I want to stand before God and say, God, I taught as long as I possibly could, as much as I possibly know. I got nothing left to say. I'm out of breath. Take me home now. Let us live for God's kingdom that way in 2017, knowing the one gift that God has given you and giving everything you can to the kingdom of God so that when you die, you feel the way that Herb Brooks did in that moment. God, in all my shortcomings, I gave you my very best. That is how we should look at time as kingdom stewards. Let me catch my breath and let us pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you. The time you've given us is so short. And we can open up your word and be touched emotionally and even 20 minutes later be in the middle of lunch and completely forget everything that we just read or thought. We're so distracted, Father. All of us are. I'm as distracted as anybody. But Father, help us to see time the way that you want us to see time. Help us to rejoice in the joy of our salvation that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have eternity waiting for us and we don't have to run around trying to experience every lasting moment of joy that we can on this earth because we have an eternity full of joy waiting ahead. Father, if there's anybody in the church here right now who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they don't have that hope. They don't have that promise. And this world is all they have. I pray you would change that today, Father. 
according to the power of your spirit, I pray that you'd open up their hearts and minds to receive the truth that's been preached and to respond to it in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray salvation would come to this house today. For those who are believers in Christ, I pray that you would burden our hearts as we open up our daily planners and think about how it is that we can invest in the kingdom with our time and our talents and our, our treasures. And Father, I just love you so much and I pray that you help all of us to grow closer together but ultimately closest to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen.